1: This chapter
2: that we're in, in Romans 7, as it talks about that dichotomy that Paul is fighting with, he's fighting with the issue of his desire as a Pharisee to do the law, to follow the law and keep the law. And yet the power of sin that that gripped his life somehow caused him to to continually fail at keeping the law. Now... Christians look at that chapter, Romans chapter 7, and they identify with it. And I think that's why that chapter is so often misunderstood. They look at it and they identify with it because how many of us haven't desired to do better, haven't desired to to walk in a, in a better way, to, to live a life that we believe would be more pleasing to God? and have, even upon our, our most determined resolution, found ourselves failing. And it casts us into despair and doubt. And then we lose it. We lose it because we think if the work of Christ was complete, I wouldn't fail. If the work of Christ was complete, I would be like the super Christian. There's something wrong with me. And you know what? That is so wrong. Here's the reality. Jesus died for our sins, and our sins were taken to the cross, and all of them were nailed to the tree, and the shed blood of Christ cleansed us from every iniquity, past, present, and future. But that's a great word, but a greater word is that we went to the grave with him, and when we came out of the grave... came out a new creation. We came out a new life. That's what the completed work of Christ is. It's not just on the cross. It's not just going into the grave. It's not just forgiven. It's not just heaven one day. It's a new life within. A brand new life within. We don't need to identify with Romans 7 from the standpoint that we are constantly struggling and constantly failing to try to live the Christian life. Let me tell you something. You don't live the Christian life. You have the Christian life. It is your life. It's like me saying, I'm struggling to live the life of Todd. It's really hard to be Todd sometimes. It is. But it's really hard to be Todd sometimes. Listen. The Christian life defined is Christ's life in you. Not you. Not just Christ. But Christ in you. It's the two. Plural life. It is you two in union with one another. And it's a life that is lived step by step. And you know that life has failures in it. It does. Have you looked at yours lately? It has failures in it. You fall. You stumble. But you don't get up having fallen somebody different. You get up a new creation in Christ. And as I said, you walk forward. How is that pertinent to what I'm talking about in Romans 7? Oh, it has everything to do with it. Because if I get up off the floor, miserable, despairing, And defeated before God. Lord, I pray that you could make me a better Christian. Lord, I pray that you could deliver me from sin. Lord, I pray that you can make me something more than I am. Please, please, please. I'm so tired of failing you. Then what is the Christian life for me but a road of tears? A life of despair? A life of hopelessness? Do you identify with that? Listen. The enemy is really big about reminding you of your failures. It's interesting to me. You know, I, I'll have a certain area of my life that I'll fail in, and when approaching that area once again, my memory's not that clear about all the pain that that came to me the last time I went down it. I don't have that clarity at that point. It's after I get through it that the enemy's good to be there in the middle of it to say, well, look, you promised you'd never do that again. Well, look at all the pain you've caused. Look at all the... And this is the second time or the third or the fourth or whatever it is. And suddenly I'm the spiritual giant. I can remember everything I ever did wrong. Well, listen, that's the enemy trying to take away from the completed work of Christ and put me in a situation that my relationship with God is dependent upon my behavior. Is your being who you are dependent upon your behavior? Is you being bow dependent upon your behavior? No. no. My behavior doesn't make me any less than who I am. What it does in, in terms of my relationship with the Lord is it makes it more difficult for me to believe in who I am when I fail. That's why I say, when you fall, fall forward. Embrace the truth again. Don't look to abide. Know that you are abiding. Walk in the truth. Now, this is the thing that Paul is is struggling with. But he's struggling with it in Romans 7, in my opinion, as a Pharisee who does not yet have a new nature. He does have a zeal for the law. He has a desire to do the law. And you will see that predominantly throughout chapter 7, he's talking about doing good works, living to the law, doing the law. This is not the language of a Christian. It is the language of a zealous Jew. And the thing that is most difficult for me is that I can nowhere find a consistency, I cannot compare the life of the person Paul reports to be in Romans 7 has anything to do with the life that Paul proclaims throughout the rest of Romans. And the interesting thing is, is that he he claims all of this attachment to, to the law in Romans 7, and yet... When he became a Christian on the Damascus Road, God took him off and literally put him through a private seminary. He wasn't out teaching the law anywhere. When he came back, he was fully aware of what the law did and did not do. And you'll see in Galatians, if you go back to Galatians, he says, man, if if I'm out there teaching the law after I've been teaching grace, you know, I'm a condemned man. That's basically, that's the Todd paraphrase. You can go back, I think it's in chapter 5, and look at it. But literally, that's what he says. Well, Paul's not interested in teaching the law, but what he is doing in Romans is he is educating young Christians. And the greatest thing he can do for these Christians is to make them assured that righteousness never, ever, ever came out of good behavior. In fact... Apart from Christ, good behavior is impossible. Following the law is impossible. It just won't happen. Because the law was never given us to empower us to do good. Do you know that this scripture right here is blessed and anointed of God, given of God, but it was never intended to make you behave? If it was, you wouldn't need the Spirit of God, would you? It was never intended to make you behave. What it was intended to do is to affirm the truth. To affirm the truth. You know, the interesting thing is I I encounter defeated Christians every week that I talk to. One of them I see in the mirror quite often. But I encounter them fairly often. And their issues do not stem from their inability to behave. Their issues stem from their inability to believe the truth about their God and themselves. That's where they stem from. You know, you you listen to the messages that are preached in this church, and you think, wow, that's fairly redundant. Well, yeah, it is. I preach Christ and him crucified, but I preach Christ and him crucified and him as life to you. Because you know what? Just knowing you're forgiven won't give you victory out there. Just knowing that you're a Christian won't allow you to walk in confidence. What allows us to walk in confidence is a confidence in the relationship that we have with Christ by virtue of our union in him. So you're going to hear this message over and over again. What I'm interested in, or what the Spirit of God is apparently interested in, in the message of this church is to equip the saints to live the life they were given to live. To affirm them in the truth. We are defeated not in our behavior by what we choose to believe about ourselves, God, and others. If we choose to live to the flesh, we will experience the insecurity, the victimization, the weakness, the failures, and the powerlessness of that flesh. And every one of us is wearing flesh. And what do I mean when I say live to the flesh? I mean that this body becomes who you are. That this world, which is inhabited and managed by flesh, becomes part of who you are. That you couch your identity in this temporal existence. The minute you do that, you have literally chained yourself to death. Because the flesh is condemned to die. But the spirit is eternal. You are a spiritual being. The flesh for you will always bring death and disappointment unless it is being used as an instrument of the Spirit. What is the flesh again? It's this body. It's this body. It is also an identity that's based on this body. When you walk after the flesh, you walk after the identity that's based in this body. And it is an identity that does not reckon upon God it reckons upon your ability to do what you want to do and to empower yourself and to protect yourself and to provide for yourself. Basically, you become your own God. Paul talks about his desires of Pharisee to try to... Meet the law and do those things and, and and do good works. But the inability as he, as he stood in his desire to do those things, he, the inability of him being able to do it because he was still an unregenerate man. He says, I'm still held captive. And the truth is in the center of where we are, there is no war. You know, your spirit's not at war with God. Have you figured that one out? There's no war there. There's no condemnation which we'll see in the first part of chapter 8. There's no condemnation there. We are in Christ. He has taken captivity captive, and the Christian life is not a struggle for victory, it is a call to faith. Not in ourselves, but in what Christ has done. Let's look at Romans 7:21. Romans chapter 7 verse 21. Paul speaking, and I believe he's speaking again of himself as a Pharisee, he says, So I find it to be a law, rule of action of my being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me, and I am subject to its insistent demands. Notice he says, I'm subject Now, the fact that sin rules in the unregenerate is a law of nature. Because the unregenerate, which is the unsaved, has a sin nature that rules. So the power of sin rules. And it's a law. Sin is ever-present in the life of the lost. And it is present as a master, as a king, as a potentate. It rules over the lost man. But it is also present in the saved. And you've heard me talk about this. Sin is present in the body of the saved. It desires to have mastery over you. But it cannot if you choose to put your hope and trust and faith in who you are in Christ. It cannot. Here's the thing. I've mentioned this once before. You know, after slavery was abolished, many, many of the slaves continued to live in slavery because they had no knowledge. There was no TV or internet. They didn't know that they'd been freed. So they continued to take on the chains. They continued to take on the work. They continued to function as slaves. Well, what Paul says is that we have been freed. He says that earlier in chapter 7. We have literally been freed from the slavery of sin. So, as a believer, sin is resident, but he is not the master. We do not the chains of sin's slavery. We can say no. We can choose to walk in truth. The lost man, on the other hand, is enslaved to the power of sin and has no choice. Now, here's the thing. Sin is an ever-present evil that sets itself up against any influence that desires to bring good into your life, okay? And we define good as the work of God. Now, here's the interesting thing that, though, the enemy is always about tempting us to take on the work of God in our own flesh. He wants us to do, by our own power, by our own will, what God would do in our lives. I point out to you Matthew chapter 4. Many of you who are familiar with that section of the Bible, it's the temptation of Christ that we're talking about. In that temptation, here is Jesus, the Son of God, come in flesh, determined to live in the flesh as a man under the complete and absolute obedience to the Father. He's surrendered himself to the will of the Father. He says in John that he doesn't do anything apart from the Father. The choices he makes, he makes because of the Father. His desires are because the Father has given him those desires. The words that he says, he says because they're words given to him by the Father. So he has literally yielded himself to the Father. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days and here comes the enemy. The enemy comes and he knows Jesus is hungry because he's been in the wilderness fasting for 40 days without food. That's miraculous in my mind. I have a hard time going without supper. But 40 days without food. So he's got to be hungry, right? So what does the enemy tempt him to do? He doesn't tempt him to play Ouija or gamble or say a curse word. He doesn't tempt him to to act immorally. He tempts him to do something that is completely logical. And he tempts him to meet a need That is a legitimate need. He says to Jesus. Why don't you take some of these stones and turn them into bread? Is that not a legitimate need for a hungry person? Absolutely. What's wrong with it? Jesus is acting as his own provision apart from the father. Is it a bad thing? Not on the surface. But it would have absolutely wrecked God's plan for Christ. He would have literally, at that point, acted in sin. He goes from there, and he tempts Jesus by taking him up on a high pinnacle and says, if you jump off, God will give his angels charge concerning you. He'll protect you. You can provoke God's protection. You can literally become your own protection. And he moves from there to worship. He tries to take God's provision, God's protection, and God's worship away from Christ. Every one of those is an attempt to get Jesus to act apart from the Father. Every one of those. Now, the enemy is all about getting you to act apart from the Father. When I have people come to me for counseling, they're generally coming because they're so frustrated in their inability to get something done in their lives to change their lives to change someone else in their life to make some kind of significant shift in their life, they are so frustrated and they come to me thinking if they get the right angle on it that maybe God would move it if they approach God in the right way maybe i'm just not praying about this right maybe i'm not just maybe i'm just not seeing this right, and typically it is the frustration of flesh that cannot have what it wants. Now, that's I'm sorry, but that's typically what it's about. Listen, the enemy in most cases is not tempting them to be immoral. He's literally convinced them that they have got to be their own source. He's convinced them that they have to be their own protection. He's convinced them that they have to be their own provision. He's convinced them that they literally need to put their attention and their worship on a problem rather than Jesus. So they're in despair. They've attached themselves to the flesh and the flesh is dying. Paul says, I want to do good. I want to do right. But evil is ever present. Paul as a Pharisee is all about doing good, but he can't do it. Paul would create and maintain goodness as a Pharisee, but the law of sin would not allow it. And that is the life of an unregenerate person. He is bound to sin, and he's bound to sin's demands. Now listen, in the context of what Paul's saying there, he's not talking about the occasional sin. He's not talking about the occasional failure. He's talking about ongoing failure. It's in present tense, and it says, I am repeatedly failing. I am repeatedly unable to do good. It indicates an unceasing subjugation to the power of sin. Now, verse 21 says that he is subject to the power of sin and that he cannot do good works because of the influence of the power of sin in his life. He can't do it. Now, it's an interesting thing that he brings that up. And remember again that in that case, the narrative, he's speaking of himself as a unregenerate Pharisee. But let's see what he says about doing good as a saved apostle. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. You see a difference there? He says that literally you were created for the works of God. So get a picture of this. As a new creation, which we have a hard time embracing because we just see the same old body in the, in the mirror, and we hear the same old thoughts, the same old voice. But the reality is that Christ literally resurrected us with Him and made a new creation out of this union with Him and His Spirit. And this new creation, which only God can understand, was literally formed from the very beginning. To do the works of God. Now, what does that mean to do the works of God? It literally means to live out a life of union with God. So that what you do, he has put before you. He empowers and he blesses and he is revealed in it. You say, well, that description doesn't mean anything I'm doing right now. Yeah, it does. Listen, regardless of what this young man is doing, he's Todd Granger. It doesn't matter what he's doing, he's Todd Granger. He can change his name, he can dress differently, but he's still Todd Granger. My heart as a father is not to see what he's doing, but to see who he is. Your father is about the same thing. It's not about what you're doing, it's about who you are. And as Todd Granger, whatever he does, he does as Todd Granger. And the work of God, Romans eight twenty-eight, will be in the midst of it. Well, how does that happen? Because have you seen the way this kid acts? No, I'll tell you how it happens. He's in union with Christ. And all things work together for good. Listen, we all know Christians who don't act like Christians. The reality of it is that you are who you are in Christ, regardless of how you're acting. You can just either be happy and settled in it and live naturally. Or you can try to recreate your. In the world's image and be miserable with it. But either case, you are still who you are in how you live, in where you go, and what you do, you are still who you are. And I don't understand it any any more than you do, but somehow God is able to take even your failures and work them together for good. You know, most of us, whatever level of spiritual maturity that we would attribute to ourselves, found it through failure. Isn't that the truth? We got there through failure. It was only through failure that we ever got to the place where we were willing to yield to whatever God wanted to teach us. That we were willing to hear. That we were willing to lay aside our fleshly identity and our walk after the flesh to take on a new walk because there was no promise in the one we had. Right? That's how it works.
1: Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m at 7015 Wurzbach Road If you would like to help support this ministry send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries P.O. Box 1894 Bernie, Texas 78006 And finally, this coming week our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember wherever you go, whatever you do the hope of glory is Christ in you.